you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 is where we'll be today. Uh, all the married folks in the room, I want you to think back when you first got married and all those great gifts that you received when that happened. Uh, what was the greatest gift that you got when you got married? Can you, can you remember? It, it probably wasn't the china sets that you received that are sitting in a box somewhere in the attic, somewhere that you never use like ours. Um, I don't know if they do that anymore. Do they still do china? Like, do they do that? Place settings and stuff? Anybody can help me? No? For me, when we got married, there was a guy named Tony who gave me the greatest gift. I was a dude that was living at home uh, with his parents, right, about to get married. And he gave me this tool set that had everything that you kind of need, right? I had the screwdrivers, the pliers, the hammers, this whole deal he gave to me. And I still have those tools today. So thank you, Tony. And uh, I appreciate that. And all these gifts that we get when we get married that are useless and don't really help us or that break over the years, tools, man, that is the key. Um, I was reading this story about this one couple. They were celebrating their 10th anniversary and they were thinking back to what their you know, greatest gift was that they had received. And, and uh, the, the, the woman, Kathy, she was talking about how her great aunt gave them this white box and on the outside of the box, it said this. It said, do not open until your first argument. I don't know about you, but that wouldn't have lasted long in our relationship. We would have gone straight to it. But for them, they decided not to open it. And so they left it in their closet, collecting dust over 10 years. And for them, it kind of became this, well, if we open this box, then it's an admission that we can't figure it out. It's an admission that we've got to ask our great aunt for help. Over time, it became this kind of iconic like piece of wisdom that was going to save their marriage. And so every time they would have a really, really bad argument and anytime things got really, really tough, they thought, well, maybe we should go to the box as if the box would save them, as if something inside of the box was going to share some age old truth or some type of wisdom that was going to change everything. And so she said, well, when that started to kind of develop in my mind, then we would have an argument and I would think, well, I can't go to the box because what if there's a worse argument to come? What if it get, gets worse? And if I go to the answer now, what will I go to then? And so they kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until their 10th anniversary. And the reason why on their 10th anniversary, they finally thought, let's just open this thing is because they realized over time that even though their, her, her great aunt had been married for over 50 years and probably had a lot of wisdom as it related to marriage, nothing in that box was going to be the thing that saved them. There wasn't some magic trick or there wasn't some you know, special wisdom that was going to save their marriage or change their marriage. In fact, she started to realize that we have everything we need right here within us to work on our love for one another to die to self, to encourage and support the other person. We don't need some age-old magic trick that's in a box from our hand. And so on their 10th anniversary, she opened it. And guess what was inside of it? It was a gift card for pizza. It was a bubble bath thing, whatever that is, and a bottle of wine. <laughs> Some of you are like, that is the trifecta, man. <laughs> Sign me up for that. Um, think about it. What, what is the greatest gift that you could receive? 
I mean, you, you think of all the material possessions that you, we all desire and we want, but what is the greatest gift that you could actually give to someone? We're in a series called Messy, and we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's really not a book, it's really a letter. It's, it's a, a letter written by Paul, and he's writing to a church that is messed up. They have all kinds of issues. They, they are selfish, they're fighting, they're jealous, they're envious, they're not working together, and you know, they're suing each other, and, and uh, they're not loving each other. And, and so he writes this letter to help them kind of overcome their selfishness and their sin and lead them in the right direction. And the truth is, we all need this help as well, because my life is messy. Your life is messy. You know, marriage is difficult. Parenting is difficult. Um, working with the same people every day is difficult. So how do we do this? Well, life is messy, but God gives us hope in this book. And today I want us to think through specifically how we can love the people that we're supposed to love better. So how can you and I love the people that we're supposed to love? How do you share love to the people who are close to you? Now, I know we all need to love our enemies. Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute us, and we could probably all use a, a sermon and a message on how to love our enemy better and, and, and how to really do that. But when I was thinking about it this week and just praying through it, I, I just felt like God wanted me to apply this message today in this chapter uh, to the relationships that are close to you. Because at the end of the day, it's probably not your enemy that is keeping you up at night. It's not the enemy that's causing tension in your life right now. It's probably your spouse. It's probably one of your kids. It's probably a coworker. These are people that are in our life every day. So how do we love them well? How do we love them better as Christ has called us to love them? In fact, it's the greatest gift we could ever give them. And so today we're going to start in chapter 12 at the very end of the chapter because I want to remind you that this is all in the context of spiritual gifts. There were people in the church, they were uh, envious and they were jealous of the various spiritual gifts that other people had. And that was causing divisions. And so Paul kind of directs them to overcome that and really focus on love. But I think he teaches us a lot about spiritual gifts in this conversation that I think is helpful. Verse 27 of chapter 12, he says this. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So same, same feel as last week. If you missed last week, watch it online. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And he, then he starts to ask questions. So this is um, a, a list of spiritual gifts, not an exhaustive list. It's not all of them, but it's, but it's some of them. And then he asks these hypothetical questions, rhetorical questions. He says, are all apostles? Well, of course not. Are all prophets? Well, of course not. Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Of course the answer is no. There's a diversity of gifts. We're, we're not all going to be gifted in the same way. And then he says this, but earnestly desire the gifts that make you look awesome. No, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts? What is the highest gift? The most excellent way. 
What is the greatest gift that we could all desire and move toward? That's what he's moving us towards today. And so as we're thinking about that, let me mention a few things here. First of all, he says that God appointed your spiritual gifts. So the things that you're gifted at and that you're good at, either natural talents or specifically what he's talking about is a spiritual gift, is appointed by God. God is the one who gave you that gift. It is him that gave that to you. Every member then of our church ought to be a minister. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody should be involved in some form or fashion using their spiritual gifts. And then he gives us this list. And earlier on in chapter 12, he mentions others. And and you can read other passages of scripture that list other uh, spiritual gifts. And in camp two, we help you uncover and and discover your spiritual gifts. But all spiritual gifts can kind of fall into three different categories. And the first category is Uh, the prophetic gifts. So the prophetic gifts are those gifts that give us the ability to understand and share God's truth. And so this would be the gifting of speaking or teaching. In verse eight, he talks about the utterance of wisdom. And so if you can, if you are talking to a friend and your friend is going through a challenging, difficult time and and then you hear them and then you're able to share a word uh, of encouragement and of wisdom from the word of God to them and it helps them, then you might have the, the, the prophetic gift set. Right? And so that is important. Does not mean that you are a prophet. <laughs> so you're not prophet Elijah. That, that is an Old Testament office. That is a, a very special time in the history of God's people. And so there aren't prophets anymore. A prophet is someone who heard directly from God and then could say, thus saith the Lord, right? Now we have the New Testament. So now we have God's written word. And we've also been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to guide us. And so the office of prophet is no longer necessary or needed. And so uh, prophetic gifts, though, are awesome. Secondly, the second category are the priestly gifts. And so the priestly gifts are the abilities and the passion to help meet the needs of people. So very specifically, it's the the gift of encouragement. It's the gift of of giving and serving and sharing and and generosity and and, and helping. And yes, he even mentions the gifts of healing, the gifts of healing. In the Greek language, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so that that word gifts of healing is, is plural. So there are gifts of healing. Now, I know when we hear the word healing, Our brain and our experience has been conditioned to think that, you know, healing means this miraculous thing where someone is paralyzed and can't walk and then somebody smacks them in the face and they start shaking and then they can walk. And they're like, oh, that's the gift of healing. You've seen that on TV and it's like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. People are just trying to get your money and and, uh, raise money and, and try to put on a show. That's that's actually not biblical. It's, it's not in the Bible. And so we have to sometimes recondition our mind as to what we think about when we hear the word healing or the gifts of healing. Think about it like this. Have you ever you know, met with somebody and they were hurting? You were able to share some wisdom with them. You were able to comfort them with your words and pray with them. And, and you were able to, to lead them to maybe emotional healing? Yeah. You think of counselors and you think of people in your life who have mentored you and have walked you through some difficult things. I I think in that scenario, you could say that person has the gift of healing because they helped you emotionally or maybe they help uh, spiritual healing in your life. And of course, there is physical healing as well. Now, we know ultimately God is the one 
who does the healing. We are, anytime we use our gifts, we are just conduits of God's power and God's work in us and through us to help somebody else. The same is true for a, a, a physical healing. You break your arm, God has created our body to heal itself. And so part of that is obviously just God working. But, but the gift of healing physically could play out like this. Some of you are doctors, you're, you're a nurse, you're in the medical field. And, and so who gave you the desire to go to school? And who gave you the desire to study that science and, and that biology? And who gives you the, 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 the retention of all that information? Well, God put that in your heart. And I think the best of the best doctors, the best of the best nurses, the best of the best in the world in the medical field are those who know Jesus and have the gift of healing. And God uses your wisdom and your knowledge and, and he guides you and he leads you that, that when you are in a high stressful situation, that he is able to use that gift set and your wisdom all working together to lead and to diagnose people that are sick or hurting and, and you can help them have healing. And so I hope that encourages some of you and, and, and helps you think through your gift set a little bit more today. There are priestly gifts, but then there are thirdly kingly gifts. And the kingly gifts are those things like leadership abilities and administration and organization, people who can set out a vision and get people behind that vision and accomplish that vision. And so each one of these gift sets, there are multiple gifts that fall underneath these categories that, that each of us are going to have. And, and you're using those in life and in business, but God's calling us to use them in God's church as well. And every single gift we have, there are strengths and then there are weaknesses. Unfortunately, we can't be good at everything. You're not Superman. And so the, those that might have the kingly gifts, and so there, you, you might have uh, the gift of leadership, and, and you can tend to, to accomplish and get things done administratively and productively. But sometimes those kingly gifts, the, the weakness and, and the struggle with them is that they, they may value the task over people. And so that's kind of one of the typical things that you might see with someone with a kingly gift. For some of you, you might have a prophetic gift set and sure you can teach the truth and, and you, you, you know how to share that and you're strong in that, but sometimes they typically might uh, have a weakness of not being able to show grace to people who make mistakes. They're the truthers and they forget that it's not just truth, it's, it's grace and truth. Some with the priestly gifts are amazing with people. You're super relational and shepherding, but sometimes they struggle with efficiency and organizational skills. And so you can see that we're all gifted differently. And, and what happens in business, what happens in church life, oftentimes what I am gifted in, I recognize in other people. And when I recognize that in other people, I like them. You get it. You and me right here, right? And so then we start to, to idolize that gift set and we start to minimize the other gift sets. And what, what can really hurt us in business and church is that we can, we can tend to become so focused on a weakness and then we can begin to be envious of the strength. Oh, what a, how often does that destroy an organization or a business or a church? So we, we look at, the person that has the gift set that we want and we're envious, man, I wish I had that. And gosh, they're, they're so good. And why do they have that? And I don't, but then we can also focus on the negative, focus on the, 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 the critiquing 
And that just destroys unity. And, and so Paul is here saying, look, don't, don't focus on the weakness. Don't, don't idolize or, or don't be envious of the strength. We have to recognize that we need everybody. We need everybody. Sure, you're not going to be perfect, Trent. And sure, I'm not going to be perfect, but let's lean in together. And as a team, let's, let's begin to identify what we're good at and, and lean into those things and help each other in our weaknesses. That's the beauty of God's church. But we're really sometimes bad about it. We don't see the value in people. We like to criticize and be envious. And that's happening in the Corinthian church. It happens all over our country let, let us not be a church like that. Let us not be a people like that. Let us see the value and the strengths of our neighbor and our, our co-members and partners at FC. And let's, let's gather together with those strengths and, 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 and fill in those gaps that each of us has. Paul says, look, everybody's gift is important. And so don't, don't be envious and angry and jealous of those who have things that you may not have. Let me show you the higher way. Let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you the key to spiritual maturity. Let me show you the key to a happy marriage, the key to successful parenting, the really the key to life. And that is in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, if you're married or you've ever been to a wedding, chances are somebody read this passage. <laughs> but you probably haven't read it since. So <laughs> let's, let's go take a look at it together. He says this in verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, right? And if I deliver up my body to, to be burned, I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to sacrifice my life for somebody. But if I do that and I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Wow. Such a beautiful passage of Scripture that we all need. Uh, I think the interesting thing is, how could we love anybody that we're envious of? Or how could we love anybody that we focus on all of their weaknesses? And I think that's what the church was doing. And this is where Paul says, let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you the highest way to live. And the, the thing about love is that we each have our own definition of love. We each have our own way of experiencing love. And so if you've never read the book, uh, The Five Love Languages, it's a must read for every marriage because everybody has a different language. Everybody has a, a different way of receiving love. And part of our job as, as a married couple is, is figuring out how does my, my spouse experience love? And so that's a huge win when you begin to, when you begin to understand that. And, and then um, authors and writers talk about like this love tank 
Imagine a piggy bank, you know, when you were a kid and you're, you're dropping in the coins and the dollars, you're trying to save up in the piggy bank. Well, every single like relationship that you have has a love piggy bank. It has a love tank, so to speak. And we make deposits, you know, with our words and with our actions towards that relationship. And, and in marriage, it's huge. And, and, and as a parent, it's huge to, you know, make those deposits into that love tank, how your, your kids or how your spouse receives and hears and feels love. And, and sometimes we're making those deposits in the way that we think they should experience love. And it's like, actually, it doesn't work. They have their own language and you've got to figure that out. And if you're not making those deposits, things can progress. I mean, you know, for a while, things, you know, are, are, are going to fall apart. But when you stop making those deposits, eventually hearts get hardened. Eventually walls begin to build. This is when people start to want to give up and quit. So you have to constantly and consistently fill those love tanks and make those deposits for the health of the relationship. Um, early on, I made so many mistakes in our marriage and trying to figure life out and my wife out. And, and uh, one of the things one summer uh, that I messed up royally on is, is my wife's, first of all, my wife's uh, love language, one of them is, just many, unfortunately, but one of them, just kidding, uh, is quality time. And so that just means spending time with her, just hanging out, taking walks, you know, being together, all that fun stuff. And so, so, so that summer, right, what was it, was it like nine weeks in the summer, uh, I went back to school, so I was getting my doctorate. I went on a mission trip. I, took, uh, I went on a camp trip uh, with, with students, and I was gone four weeks out of that summer. And we had three kids all under the age of five. And, yeah, somebody's like, whoa, you're an idiot. Thank you. Thank you for that. Really, I was. I remember coming home, you know, and I'm energized by the trips, and I'm energized by the movement and, and the activity. She's dying right? She's dying with these little kids, but she's also dying because I haven't spent that relational quality time with her. And so that was a rough summer for me. And it was a rough fall and winter and spring as well. In some ways, I feel like I'm still recovering from that. But sometimes we have to go through those really big mistakes to actually learn. And that's the point, I think, of difficulties in our marriage is that God wants us to learn and he wants us to grow through those. And so you've got to discover what fills the love tank of your spouse and then you've got to begin to fill it. And so Paul is saying here, this is what love is. And it's not really a definition. You, for, for us, as we've moved through 1 Corinthians, we have the context of this passage. And so it's not just a, here's what love is. No, he's saying, you guys have been selfish You've been eating all the food. You've been neglecting the poor. Remember about the Lord's Supper. You've been getting drunk while you take the Lord's Supper. You're, you're bragging about who you follow back in chapter three. You're, you're suing each other in chapter six. Like you guys are really, really messy. You're, you're not treating each other well. So let me show you what love actually looks like. Let me apply the behavior of love, the attitude of love. And so that's essentially what he's doing here. So you might take a few notes. The first thing is love is more important than your gifts. So again, for them, they're, oh, I wish I was as good as him. And I wish I was able to do what she does. And they're jealous. They're focusing on weaknesses, jealous 
of the gift set. And he says, listen, he says, listen, your love is more important than your gifts. In fact, gifts don't even matter if you aren't demonstrating love. Right? So you're taking pride in your gifts. You think you are more important. But let me tell you, they're they're using their gifts and they're trying to make themselves look good, to look more spiritual. And Paul's point is that if you're not using these gifts for the purpose of the church and the purpose of benefiting others, then it's worthless. You have nothing, he says. You have nothing if you have not love. You're like this loud symbol, this, this loud gong that somebody's beating on. It's, it's really loud. It, 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 it draws a lot of attention, but nobody wants to hear it. If you've got the prophetic gifts, if you've got these miraculous gifts, if you have these special speaking gifts and wisdom and this giant faith that can move mountains, he says that's wonderful, but it's all meaningless if you aren't doing it out of love and using it in love. You might have the ability to make money, be successful, lead your business, great. But if you're not doing that out of love for your family and your loved ones, you have nothing. It's meaningless. You might be talented. People might marvel at your talent. But again, at the end of the day, it is meaningless. And so you're, you're just this loud, loud clanging symbol that nobody wants to listen to. So the question is simply this, is your life noisy today? Are you a clanging symbol trying to tell everybody how much you love them, not filling anybody's love tank? So you're just this loud symbol that's beating this drum, beating this gong, trying to convince people. But everybody around you is like, look, You're selfish. All you care about is yourself. He goes so far as to say that if you have not love, you are nothing. It's meaningless. So he says, love is more important than your gifts. Secondly, he says, love is enduring. In other words, it's not fragile. It's long-suffering. It's not going to give up easily. Listen to me. This is huge. He says love is patient. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Now we like to think that life should be pain-free, that we shouldn't have to suffer. We should, we should not have to go through difficult things. And, and God, why can't you just make everything happy and easy for us and, and successful? But that's just not life. And so here God shows us that in difficulty, love is patient. Love patiently waits for the other person to grow. This is huge for all of our married folks and anybody that thinks they will ever get married. This is huge. Think about it. Love bears with the parts of life that are not perfect. Love is long-suffering with those areas of your partner's life that just haven't been perfected yet. It is long-suffering. It believes and it hopes in, in, in the best in this other person. It endures through the heartache. It endures through the trouble because love makes a way. It's long-suffering. It is not fragile as we wait on someone to grow. Parents, how huge is this? 
You might have grown adult children. Or maybe you have teenagers. Hear it again. Let the word of God pour over us. Love patiently waits for your son or your daughter to grow. Love is, 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 is there when they are rude. You are patient. When they are arrogant, love is not irritable. It does not have a short fuse. When they rejoice in wrongdoing, love endures and loves and calls into a deep, deep relationship. The point he's making is love isn't easily provoked to give up. Love doesn't have a short fuse. Love doesn't complain easily. It doesn't get mad easily. It doesn't criticize sharply. You show grace. You take a deep breath. You realize that people are frustrating. You realize that people are irritating. You realize that, that, that people that you are supposed to love, that you are close to, are around you all the time. So of course, those are going to be the ones that get under your skin the quickest. In our culture, love is like this fading emotion. It just comes and it goes with the wind. It's like this force that all of a sudden I was just not paying attention and boom, I loved him and I fell in love with her. And, and then one day it just left. And then so we had to call it quits. Right? That is not what love is. It is not an uncontrollable force. Love is a choice. Love is a choice and we choose uh, each of us to endure in that decision through thick and through thin. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you're going to deny yourself. If you're going to be my follower, then you're going to die to yourself. That sin in your heart that wants to give up. He says, I want you to die to that sin that wants to give in, that doesn't want to endure through the challenge and the difficulty. That is the sin that we put to death and we say, yes, he is calling us to love. We do allow this sin to be removed in our heart. And, 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 and the, the thing about the relationships that we're in is that these people that we are supposed to love, they, they do things that interrupt our day. They do things that irritate us. Right? And then the, the lashing out and the tension happens. But is this a problem in our life? Because we simply have allowed this inconvenience in our life to cause us to respond in anger. Right? They cause problems and irritations. How dare you? How dare you interrupt the football game that I am watching? How dare you have an issue and a problem why I am trying to watch Netflix? It's season three, man, and I got to get through it. So shut up. How often is our problem just simply this self-driven, self-motivating, self-exalting, don't interrupt my schedule or cause me problems or issues, stay out of my way mentality. And Jesus says, if you want to love, you will die to that selfish desire that is in each of us. Let your love endure through the problems and the mistakes and the weaknesses. Thirdly, he says, love is humble. Love is humble. 
Now, oftentimes we think the opposite of love is hate, but really the opposite of love is pride. Well, think about it. I mean, we have different ways of showing our pride and, and our arrogance. And so he says, look, don't be envious. Love is not envious or jealous. It's not boastful or proud. It's not arrogant. And each of us love to be admired for our strengths and the good parts and the successes of our life. And we want all of our weaknesses to be minimized. And so over time, we develop these strategies that elevate our strengths and then hide our weaknesses. And one of the ways that we do this is that we become very arrogant. We begin to brag about all the things that we are doing and we, we, we air it out there on social media or we just use you know, our words to other people to talk about all the cool, amazing, great things that we're doing because that elevates our successes and we can hide our weaknesses in a more subtle way, but equally as arrogant is the person that might always be in a conversation that kind of draws that conversation back to them, right? They're not arrogant or cocky, but they're always bringing the conversation back to them and what they're going through and what they're dealing with and kind of all the stress and I'm overworked and I've got this and I've got this. And so the conversation all kind of comes around them. You see, both situations is evidence of pride in our life. Either it's self-pity or it's blatant arrogance. Both is a result of pride in our life. And we must die to that pride that is within our human nature. It's like, it's not because you're unique or, you know, um, you're, you're specifically just kind of really bad. It's within all of us. Sin within our heart creates this desire to be self-motivated and self-exalting and look at us and look at me. And, and that's a sin that every single one of us has to put to death in order to love well. Isn't it interesting that we can, we can work 40, 50, 60 hours at work and everybody at work, if you're a student, you're going to school, maybe you're on a team, everybody in those environments think, oh, this, is, this person is so great and they're so warm and friendly and man, they're patient. And then you go home. And that same patient, loving, friendly person becomes Vladimir Putin at home. It's like causing chaos and, you know, raising gas prices or whatever. It's like, why is it that the people that we work with see the best of us and then the people at home see the worst of us? Well, it's pride. It's, it's the act that I put on in front of people versus when I get home, I'm just gonna lay it all down and, and let the real, true, selfish person rule the roost. What's the answer? Well, he calls us to love, but let's get really practical. What do we really have to do? Well, verse 11, he explains it like this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know what it means to be a man? It means that you're willing to give up your rights. You're willing to give up of yourself, put away childish behavior, childish comebacks, childish uh, mentalities, childish arrogance, the rude, inappropriate behavior. He says, you've got to put that to death. You've got to overcome 
those childish ways. Now, I don't recommend you go home ladies, and, and, and tell your husband in the heat of the moment, stop acting like a child. Probably isn't going to go over well. But if we want to be honest, so often we kind of do act like kids. We act like teenagers. We act like kids because we're so selfish and we're inward focused. Right? Look at verse 13. I love this. He says, so now, after all of this conversation, faith, hope, and love abide. But he says the greatest of these is love. It's the greatest gift you'll ever give. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. It's the greatest gift that any of us could, could give to someone. And listen, the great thing about this is this is the greatest gift that Jesus has given to you and to me. Think about it in these terms, that this passage is, is God's love for you, that he really does love you. And so he says, uh, love is patient and kind. His love is patient with you even when you are an idiot, even when you are selfish, even when you dated people you shouldn't have dated, and even when you cheated, and even when you lied, and even when you stole. He says, my love for you is patient and kind. My love wasn't envious or boastful. My love wasn't arrogant or rude. My love for you did not insist on its own way. You see, God doesn't force you to love him or force you to walk the, the, the path of righteousness. He allows you to walk in darkness if you want to. And even as you rebel, even as you walk in selfishness, he says, I'm not gonna insist on my own way. I'm not gonna be irritable and resentful. I'm not gonna rejoice in wrongdoing I'm going to rejoice in the truth, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do, God says. God says, my love for you bears all things. It is long-suffering. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So even though your marriage failed, even though your, your, your kids didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to, even though your business didn't go where you had hoped it would go, even though you lost your job, even though so many mistakes have been made, he says, my love for you is, 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 is the same as it was yesterday. And it's gonna be the same today. And it's gonna be the same tomorrow. I love you. And for each of us, that love is evidenced in the cross of Jesus Christ, where he is suffering for your sin where he is taking upon himself your sin, paying the debt that you owed. Apart from him, you will pay God for your sin. You will spend an eternity in hell because of your sin. But if you have faith in Jesus, you choose to follow Jesus, then God doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus paying for your sin. He declares you righteous. He gives you the, the gift of his love and his spirit and the hope of eternity in heaven with him when you die. That is God's love for you. That is the gospel. Some of you have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never given him your life. You've never received his forgiveness and received his love. My hope is that today you would do that. My hope is that today that you would 
make that decision to receive his forgiveness and love and, and follow him for the rest of your life. And that's a decision you want to make today, whether here at Maryville or in Knoxville. We want to encourage you to go to the care and prayer room where our volunteers are waiting for you. Just walk in and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And today I want to encourage you as we close, they're going to, the band is going to come and sing a song over you. Just sit and listen and receive and hear and worship and experience this powerful song that really declares everything that we've been talking about today, that, that God loves you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your truth. Lord, in the marriages that are struggling and the families that are struggling to love each other, God, would you give us the grace? Would you give us the direction that we need in order to love well? In order to die to self, show your love to our family members, show your love to a coworker, put aside childish ways. There's some grown men in the room that aren't acting like men. Lord, would they deny self, put away childish ways of treating their wife and embrace the self-denying, self-sacrificing love that Christ our Lord has modeled to us. We pray for that to happen. Save marriages today. Restore relationships today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.